Welcome. I'm going to play a little Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings while we wait for a few more folks to, so to show up. And then we'll get started with today's show. It's your land.
Okay. Welcome to crowdsourcing the revolution. We have on this show talked about many, many things and continue to get informed on various things. Today, what I want to cover is I want to do a brief overview of the ballot measures that are on ballots in 2022 for November. Then I, what I'd love to do is uh, invite call, callers to call in and we'll have a panel discussion about the various kinds of projects that we might undertake. If you look at the um, program description, um, the way that I've kind of sorted it out is there's three categories, advocacy issues, individual actions, and group projects. And what I'd like to talk about today is group projects. There is a, I have been updating the 2022 November election worksheet on Google Sheets, and the link is in the show notes if you would like to go and see who does what. Before I dive into the, um, the ballot measures and everything, I just want to uh, give a little props to Woody Guthrie, who wrote that song, This Land Is Your Land. And apparently, the Dropkick Murphys have an album coming out called This Machine Still Kills Fascists. And they are doing covers of Woody Guthrie songs on that album. So if you are a Woody Guthrie or Dropkick Murphys fan, or you like music in general, you might want to seek that out. Zach and Dat, I do have a policy. If you would like to call in, please feel free, because this is going to be a bit of a discussion. I'm going to do a little monologue here at the start just to get going. So one of the things started getting interested in what's going on with elections because, you know, the idiots that are currently in charge are doing such a great job that let's try and do something different. So looking at it, without going through, through the process that I went through over the last several months, I'll just say this. If you don't get if you don't get involved before the primary election, you won't get the candidate you want unless you want the corporate candidate in November. Because by the time I was paying attention, it was already too late for me to vote to have the person that I would have preferred to have on the November ballot. It was too late for me to campaign for that person. So. Whether you're into electoralism or you're anti-electoralism, there are 23 states right now, uh, 37 states. For 2022, there's 137 statewide ballot measures in 37 states. Some states have already had their ballot measures, but there's four main areas that, that um, measures can be grouped into. It's kind of interesting that the topics are not very different. I'm getting this information from Ballotpedia, which is a very good resource for information about what's on ballots, hence the name Ballotpedia. Um, 
abortion marijuana changes to the state initiative process and amendments on enslavement servitude and criminal punishment in 20 states now i'm obviously it's silly to with three of us here and whoever's going to listen later go over these 137 measures i find it interesting that that the the majority of ballot measures are actually on abortion and the fact that there are 20 different state constitutions that may be amended to eliminate language permitting enslavement or servitude as criminal punishment or debt payment. And um, voters in five states will decide on repealing such language. So that's a good thing. Um, but the fact that it's only five states, I don't know how many other states have that measure in. In your state, if you have ballot measures, make sure to get yourself informed on them so that you know what it is that you're voting for. Seems like one vote wouldn't make a difference, but in, an, in a non-presidential election year, your vote has more power, which is one reason to vote among many. All right, I've bored you plenty with the ballot measures. Let's go back to these ideas of potential group projects. So looking at, looking at a, a bunch of different things that we could do to kind of fix what we think is wrong, whether we agree what is wrong or how to fix it, there's some things that I think most of us could agree need changing. So I'm just going to quickly run through a list. This is not a comprehensive list, but this is the list that I've developed after having multiple conversations here on call in and um, through listening to a lot of uh, conversations and podcasts. Hi, Jenny. Hey, how'd the show last night on the Constitution go? It it went pretty good. It went pretty good. Uh, they, there were a few clips that I was missing, and when you're actually in the room, you can't add them. So I'm gonna redo it because I wanna I wanna play the the um, segments about those five amendments that they worked on at the National yeah. Constitution Center. That's when I was listening, and it was it was definitely kind of spotty. Right. So I, so I got it, I got it fixed up. So that won't be that, that won't be an issue. So I'm going to, going to redo that one. Um, cause I do think that it, it can be valuable. Yet? No, I don't have it scheduled we could do it now. I was just kind of going to go over the different kinds of projects. And I think one of the group projects that I would add that's not on the list yet is is a um, a project like the one the national uh, the national constitution center did in in drafting a new constitution or or revising however however kind of how we were talking about last night on Andrew's show. Yeah, it sounded yeah. like they put a lot of thought into it. Yeah, it, it, and it, it's really interesting listening to the whole 
podcast and I'm sure it, being a fly on the wall in those rooms for, for policy geek, geeks like me would have been very, it's very interesting to hear how people interact with each other in these situations. It is. But I thought overall that I only caught about 20 minutes of it before I had to go, but mm. I really felt like it was, it was really being thoughtfully, you know, discussed. And so I'm there for I, it whenever you want to do it now, or if you do, plan to do it another time. Yeah, I was, I was actually one of the things I wanted to, um, so hold on one second, I'm pulling up something. Um, is is to actually have one of the one of the rooms that goes on goes live kind of regularly be a, a revision project of for re redrafting the constitution or something. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think it's good. You know, I think there's issues and um... and we could focus it on you know a certain section every time. Yeah. Well, I love the constitution and I have a reverence for it. And I think the brilliance of it is that built into the actual document is the way to change it. And so I trust those processes and think that, you know, as long as you're adhering to the, the rules of engagement, if you will, I'm not really on board with overthrows and, you know, takeovers, which some, some people who show up in these sites, you know, they, they want to just pull it all down and start over. Although it is written into the constitution that we can do that too. So, you know, I'd like, let's say I'd like to prevent the revolution if we can. I can't hear you if you have your sound on. Sorry, I was, I forgot I was muted. Okay, so I I don't know what you heard. Didn't hear anything, it's just you, except you coming on right now. <laughs> okay, so, so the, um, so the National Constitution Center, um, one of their amendments. Well, we have one last amendment to discuss, and it has to deal with future amendments. It makes it easier to amend the Constitution, but just by a bit uh, broadly, uh, the current system requires two-thirds votes to trigger a convention or a proposal and three-quarters to ratify, and this amendment would have a three-fifths vote to propose and a two-thirds to ratify. Remember, friends, I had to do the math um, because it appears so frequently here, three-fifths is 60%, two-thirds is 66%. So it's not a complete transformation, but it is a bit easier. Um, Elon, tell us about the future amendments amendment. That's the reality of the situation is if you have a really hard constitution to amend, then judges are going to do more updating through judicial opinions, which we don't necessarily want. And to be clear, both on the right and the left, this would happen, whether through an open living constitutionalist system that the progressives have generally advocated over the last several decades, or a faux kind of originalism in which judges sort of update it through uh, you know, capacious, more capacious terms in the Constitution or just bad originalism. It's just human nature. You're going to want to bring it up to speed based on your sort of modern day predilections and, and preferences. And it would just be better 
to be able to amend the Constitution more often. James Madison said in a famous Federalist paper, this is sort of responding to this Jeffersonian argument, you know, that the earth belongs to the living. Every 19 years, we should have a, new, have a new constitutional convention. And James Madison said, no, stability is important to bestow veneration on the Constitution, right? And so he thought that we should not have too frequent amendments. And he's largely right about that. Because we want stability, we want veneration, we don't want a constitutional revolution too often. But it shouldn't be too hard to amend. Because if it's too hard, it's like a, a Laffer curve. Do people still know what a Laffer curve is, like in economics? Like the, the ideal tax rate to make the most amount of money. If you're below it, you're just not making as much as you could. But if you go above it, people hide their money. And so you're also not making as much as you could. There's just an ideal amendment process. We don't know whether we've reached it. But you don't want it too easy, and you don't want it too hard. I suspect most people agree that the current system is a bit too hard. Uh, and so we're making it just slightly easier. So that's, that was the conservative of, uh, leader of yeah, I didn't hear, I didn't hear. I didn't hear that one last night. That's excellent. You know, the one thing um, I was, was going to add to the conversation is that yeah. I believe we needed a new de Department of Peace. And this was something that was also discussed in the Federalist Papers back in the day, that it was appropriate to have a Department of War, but we needed an equal and well-funded Department of Peace. And that's something that has not been done. What would, what would the responsibility for Department of Peace be? I don't know the details. I really haven't studied a lot about it. I'm, I mean, I'm for it based on the name, but, you know, you, you know. Do you, can I promote you to a speaker so I can let you bet. that in? That would be great. You know, with my Christian, oh, sorry. Oh no, Jenny, let's try you again. I'm gonna bring you up as speaker. Dat, I, I, I hope you don't I hope you don't I hope you don't mind I call you Dat. No. That right? No, that's fine. All right. That's... Thank you. How are you today, sir? Doing good. Doing good. Yeah? Uh yeah, just just relaxing and chilling and learning. <laughs> you know? Right on, right on. Trying to learn. Yeah. Well, Jenny, yeah. if you want if you want me to play the next section that's the I think the progressive talking about the changes they made to the amendment process. Yeah, that'd be great. That? I just wanted to make one more point about the oh, Department yes. of Peace. As a Christian, there are several specific prophecies in the Bible talking about how we will get to a day when we will not learn war anymore. So that day is in front of us when all of this money and effort that goes into the war machine, it's just going to melt away. And we're not even going to waste time on it because we are living in a worldwide peaceful situation. And so the, the idea that it's all just going to go up in nuclear smoke and we're done, I, I don't believe that. I, I do believe we are going to figure out a way to tamp down the wars and all the money that's invested in those wars. And bring to justice those who have waged the wars, especially the most recent wars. And so I look forward to all that happening 
but I don't know that we necessarily need constitutional changes to bring the warmongers to justice. So I'd love to hear that clip though. So. Yeah, sure. Dad, did you want to say something before I play? Okay, then we, oh, there you go. Sorry, That's I all right. I couldn't, couldn't find the mute button, but no, no, go ahead. Here we go. Oh, come on. Um. Um, Elon, tell us about the future amendments amendment. That's not the right one. Where is it? I'm sorry, I'm having trouble finding it. Okay, let's try this way. There we go. Carolyn, this is pretty technical parsing. Tell us about the different uh, ratios about and, and, and the significance of allowing states that represent a certain proportion of the population mm -hmm. to act. Well, and this, this, does, this also took a, a while to hammer out. Um, but for us, it was really important that uh, a small minority of the, of the public couldn't thwart um, a broadly supported amendment to the Constitution. And therefore, we want to make sure that there was a population uh, aspect to it as well as a states. I mean, we all of you are aware, I'm sure, of the Electoral College and how um, in so many of our recent elections, the person who won the popular vote has not actually become the president. And so this is a similar kind of idea that we, we want to make sure that there is a broader engagement and a broader um, ability for uh, the population of the United States to amend our constitution and not have um, this uh, small minority of states um, that is getting excessive amount of representation uh, to thwart what we all want and see as so important for the future of our country. So that was really important to us. This wasn't I, you know, a perfect amendment by any means for us. We would have made it easier. But, you know, again, in the spirit of compromise, our, as I said earlier, our Constitution now is it's not impossible to amend, but let's say it's more than zero. You have more than zero percentage of amending our Constitution. So that's where we stand right now with these proposed amendments. But it's not that much higher. And so we did recognize that this is a very important reform to our Constitution to bring it at least sort of limping into the modern era. So... That's um that's that's the progressives take on that on that changes that they were trying to make related to making amendments to the to the constitution and I find it really fascinating that um it it to me it, having um what is, what is that called um a sunset on any laws that you do put in place or some kind of review mechanism so you don't end up with a huge collection of laws that are out of date and useless, or even worse, against 
current cultural norms because they're so old. Yeah, it's just logical. It makes sense to me. So I'm well, dropping. I went and looked. I'm dropping in the ch in the chat. Uh, it was Isaiah chapter two in the Old Testament, verse four, and he shall judge judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. So Isaiah prophesying about our day. Yep, I hear ya. I ain't gonna study no war no more. Yeah, that's it's been made into several popular songs, so it's it's yep. definitely out there in the culture. But it was also prophesied by Isaiah. So I just got my food. I'm gonna listen. Okay. I'm hoping some other people okay. are participating. I don't, don't want to chew thank in you. everybody's ear, but I also want to eat no, this thank you. meal <laughs> while it's hot. So thanks. Yes, please, please. Thank you, Jenny. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Derek, welcome. Leroy, welcome. I'm assuming Leroy could be Leroy. If you would like to call in or be a speaker, just go ahead and dial in and I will uh, invite you up. What you got for me, Dad? Um, so uh, I'm, I'm not really well versed on how it's set up. So it's not um, the Constitution as is. They don't keep it like a a living document that's not what that is or it is it is it is and the point okay. is that the way that the the way the amendment process is right now to make changes to it you mm. you can only add to it nobody's touched the main body of the document as far as i know maybe derek has a different derek has some expertise or at least some knowledge about this um stuff but but i think that um we've just added amendments or, or revoked amendment and revoked rescinded. No. What do you do with an amendment when you undo it? Uh, My words are not working for me today. There's, there's three people right now in the listeners going, telling me what the answer is. I know it. <laughs> so. Well, would, would it be like retract or, or what do you think? I, I really have no idea, but because that because prohibition got undone. Derek's shouting into his phone, I'm sure. Re repealed, repealed. Thank you. Thank you, Pim. Thank repealed. you, Pim. Thank you. Repealed. Correct. Repealed. Thank you. <laughs> so um I just want to go through the the list. As I was saying earlier, I kind of have broken these so American democracy is super complicated. There's so many layers of things if, over layers of things, compacted by layers of things under layers of things. And so trying to categorize everything is extremely hard because what do you do, foreign and domestic? But then where do you put things like aid to foreign countries that's, that's like not war aid? So what I did was I split it into kind of three groups that I'd like to kind of explore first the group projects which is one of the groups then there that another group is individual actions and then there's advocacy issues let me give you an example of a couple of each of them an advocacy issue would be codifying the 28th amendment or the era 
Um, another advocacy issue could be to organize around anti-war. Um, another advocacy issue, and I think this folds in quite nicely with what was happening in Andrew's room yesterday, is to advocate for publicly owned and funded and publicly accessible printing presses so that people can get their message out because the internet and the kinds of censorship that go on on the internet make it very hard. And at some point, I don't think that there will be a nuclear bomb dropped on this country, but our energy infrastructure and our internet infrastructure is so fragile that it could be that without having Xerox machines to be able to print things, communicating over any kind of distance more than shouting is going to be difficult. So I, I would like to see that. Um, other advocacy issues, ranked choice voting, UBI, um, back to the fairness doctrine about covering candidates. And, and another advocacy issue is um, campaign finance. Individual issues are things, things that you can do that can make the world around you better, but you just can just do it yourself. So you could choose um, CBC, which is the Canadian Broadcasting Network for News instead of corporate American corporate news, one example. I think I, I, think I cribbed that one from Aaron Maté. Um, you could be a candidate, a local candidate. Um, not this year, because probably where you live, the deadline has passed for local school board and all of those. But you could be a candidate to spotlight certain issues in your community. You should, in conversations, push the Overton window because, you know, until we, until we make it more normal, the fact that $15 is not a living wage, you know, we should be talking $25 is a living wage, you know, or even more, because why, why shoot low? Other individual actions, sidewalk stencils, and um, then there's starting points for getting active. What I want to talk about today, obviously I've already talked about a lot, but what I'd like to have a discussion, a group discussion, and, and I welcome anyone who would like to call in um, promote you to to a speaker and we can have a group discussion. Um, the projects that I have on the list um, in the show notes include um, doing something like Indeed, like the job site, but for civic action and engagement, not just volunteering for a nonprofit, but other kinds of civic action. How can we do a match, a match.com, but for for civil disobedience? or, you know, flash mob kind of networks to build for action. A left legislative exchange council that would be, um, that would help provide legislative templates, laws for state legislators to introduce to their states in, the, in a similar fashion as ALEC does, except not funded by the evil corporations of the world and and focused on right wing, but instead on, on the left wing. And that could be things as simple as getting states to add 
an amendment if they don't already have one to their constitution for equal rights, for example. Um, another thing that we've talked about is having some kind of independent citizens alliance. We have the, the League of Independent Voters or the, the, the Independent Voters and Independent Candidates Coalition. Um, and that's and all of these things are group projects and will require all of us to to be part of that. And I think um, the la the thing that is not in the show notes that I do want to add on and will be on future shows, um, especially because what I'd like to do is kind of prioritize these because there's so much to do, but we can only do a few things at a time with a few of us is redrafting the constitution, whether that means starting from scratch or, um, or in some way using what's in either the UN or the, the um, somebody suggested the, um, the bill of human, the, the, uh, it's the, it's the, um, the charter, the UN Charter on Human Rights, is that what it is? So, so there's a lot of different ways that, that, that a redrafting the constitution type of thing could work as a group project. What I'd love to hear from any of you, please call in, is, is if you have a feeling one way or the other about what we might wanna start with in terms of trying to get something going here. And I think that possibly because of, of the constitution focus yesterday, I'm really focused on that, but I'm, I'm open to, to anything that connects us to other people and, and reduces the illusion that we are actually divided. Come on, Dad, don't leave me hanging. No, I keep on, I keep on hitting the, uh, the red button instead of the unmute at the bottom. That's the issue. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I definitely think that, I mean, there, there are good parts to the standing, you know, constitution as it's written. I think, I think it makes it too easy to twist those words or, or, and sometimes I think that it was made to be able to, to bend and, you know, stretch. I, I don't know. I, I really don't know, but definitely make it fit today and what is happening in the world today. Yeah, most definitely. I think we should um, rewrite or, or add on or maybe reword some of it um i definitely wouldn't i mean we'd have to have some pretty pretty uh experience I, I mean i guess not experience but just people that could really put it in i would say like layman's terms i mean or or something like that because all the those those and or thou and Aren't there crazy words in the Constitution? Not really, oh, yeah. I guess. Totally, but totally, totally wicked crazy words. 
random right. capitalization. Well, I mean, there's all kind of stuff, but but yeah. Yeah. I mean, so there's there's it, parts. What of, does it say about our country, though? And do, is it does it say what we want it to say? I think right. I think if 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 you'll indulge me, I think that um, this particular clip, which is just about four minutes long, asks some really mm. good questions. What do you see in terms of the Constitution working for or against democracy today? So, as you said, we kind of get um, that there are deep ways that the Constitution as an anti-majoritarian document has become a key to minority rule strategies at the national level. We know that. Um, I think there's also a way that the cult of the Constitution does something at the level of the imagination, and it does something institutionally. What it does at the level of the imagination is to say that the most fundamental kinds of political decisions, like the decision to say, for example, that we are not going to have an upper house any longer that systematically um, skews representation as it does, or that we're going to let the people elect the president, that those decisions are just out of our hands. Those were made by a different kind of person. The founders were people of a different nature in some way, whether we think they were good or bad, they made a world that we can't change. And that's a, a fundamentally counter-democratic idea that we don't get to choose or even affirm the basic terms of our political lives, even when the stakes are extremely high. And at the institutional level, it channels a lot of questions about who we are and what our basic commitments are into the federal courts and especially the Supreme Court in a way that I think is inevitable when you have an old, brief, hard-to-change constitution. There's just no way around the attractiveness of litigation to any sort, but especially anti-majoritarian sorts of advocacy and interest. It would be a very great thing if we could think of the Constitution again as something that living generations had made or at least affirmed. And I think the key to this, the first key, is the Constitution's Article 5, the provision for amendment that sets such a high bar for changing the constitutional text and directs constitutional politics uh, implicitly to the courts and is really the linchpin of our judicial oligarchy. I think we might remember that Although it's very, very hard to change the Constitution, it's not impossible. I find it extraordinary that they passed the 17th Amendment, establishing direct election of senators, taking that prerogative away from state legislatures right. by driving the amendment through state legislatures, in part by unelecting a bunch of people who had opposed the amendment the first time through. So I think we've been in this funny moment where progressives think of constitutional amendment and convention as somewhere out there in the area of citizen sheriffs or sovereign right. citizens. <laughs> it's like it's a crazy, like three-cornered hat kind of idea. Right. And um, I think that's actually a sign of how caught we are in the headspace of a time that thought we'd worked it all out and it, it, it was, it was going to be fine and we shouldn't mess with it. 
I would be very excited to support a drive to amend Article 5 and to think about something like, here's a crazy idea, generational constitutional conventions as an opportunity to say every 30 years or so, is this fundamental law in line with our commitments as a people, or um, are there things that we need to shift? Okay, so that was um, from a program called Democracy in Danger, and um, that gentleman wrote a book about, um, about the Constitution as a marketing tool. That would be the number one change I would like to see right now would be the 17th Amendment. I would just love to have the Senate be chosen by the state legislatures again. I think it was a colossal mistake to hand that over to the people. It really jacked up the ability of the elites to kind of uh, mess with the population through the media. And I think if you were get to get those kind of stalwart legislatures who are respected in their own states and uh, chosen because of their ability and not so much uh, because of the money behind them. I think it would help stop the carpet bagging we see on see going on all over the country. And if we were to, to get this, the state legislatures choosing the Senate and then um, put in place some, some forms of term limits, I'd love to see a limit on family dynasties. Like if one person plays a major role in the federal government, none of their kids or spouses or grandkids can run, period. You know, we're not going to have these family dynasties anymore. And you have this dynamic of families like the Bushes and others who their own kids will go to different states and be governor, you know, and, and you know, they didn't grow up there. They don't belong to those states. That's just where they were governor. And I would like to see states have a little bit more control over their local government instead of the elites coming in and kind of taking over. We have some of that going on in Colorado. So just kind of getting rid of the nepotism. It's actually a very small circle of families that have been in power for so long. And I would like to see those dynasties broken up and the states given much more control over our federal government. Well, and I would argue that those that those um, legacy families and others have made the rules such that makes it more difficult to get in if you weren't already in. I mean, just look at, I mean, you could just look at how Hollywood works. You know, everybody's kid is now in their own movie, but breaking in as somebody that when you're not related is difficult. Welcome, Andrew. I'm glad you're here. You're welcome to call in to indicate that you'd like to be a speaker. I'm happy to promote you. I'm just gonna. Um, I uh, him said, um, and and I should be not be surprised in the in the um, comments. Can nationalizing of the major arms industry be an advocacy issue? Oh, for sure. And I've added it to the list um, that I've got going here on my computer, and which I am hoping to get uploaded to a website that we all can kind of share. Um, where you can post um, the links, a kind of a centralized place to post the links that we all share during these shows, because it's very hard to go back through the shows and if you're not keeping track. So I'm hoping to get something like that moving. If you're a person who would like to help with that, please let me know. Uh, and 
um, I did put a way to contact me in, in the show notes. Please don't abuse me because I'm a nice person most of the time. Derek, what do you think about the group projects? We've got like the match.com for, for civic action, redrafting the constitution, left legislative exchange, the citizens union. Uh, well, I wanted to comment on one thing Jenny was uh, supporting, um, the state legislature, uh, Senate, um, argument she was making. Um, yeah, I, I definitely disagree. Uh, I, I, do, I don't really understand how we would be fighting elitism by taking, uh, power away from the people and putting it in putting that power in the hands of the elites. Um, the logic doesn't add up for me. So I'm curious what the thought process is. Well, the Senate right now is chosen by a popular vote in each state, as you know, and it would revert back to the original constitutional goal, which was to have the legislature in each state pick their senators. With the understanding that those who are serving in state congresses know who the seasoned politicians are. And while there would, would be opportunity for some graft and cronyism yeah. and whatnot in, in the picking yeah. of these senators. Possibly. Would, well, I'm, I'm not naive enough to say there wouldn't be any. You know, I know there would be. Um, the people can also be manipulated, and they are, especially by the media. And right. I don't know that, that the population follows politics, what's yeah. happening at the state how, as closely as those who are actually there. It seems like the arguments you're advancing here could be applied to taking the vote away from everyone at every level. I disagree with that logic entirely. For the Senate, which is supposed to be a slow-moving, seasoned group of legislators, um, I would... I would go with the original plan, which was to have each state state Congress pick their senators. Yeah, I wouldn't. Um, That's for sure. Not to say the people, not to say the people are stupid or naive. I just don't think they're as engaged as the state politicians are. Right. So, right. Right. So the elites should determine our government more than us. I got it. Yeah, I disagree. I think at the state level, the politicians who are there are more, more close to their neighborhoods, their families. And although we know in many states there is lots of graft and, um, you know, certain families running certain places, um, the people do have the ability to throw their elected officials out of office. And uh-huh. for those who are engaged, who are watching, who feel like that's important, they're doing it, especially in California. So... You know, these these things are in place for the people to rise up and say, no, we don't want that judge. We don't want that prosecutor. We don't want that right. DA. We just and don't they, get to choose them necessarily. You know what? Right. We, we just shouldn't get to necessarily choose them. Yeah, I definitely disagree. I don't think we need to backtrack on democracy right now. We need to go forward. So, Jenny, so, can I ask a question? Do you yeah. do you um, check with your state representative and senator about about who you should vote for or is it mostly a party line thing for you 
I I just do the research and vote, you know, whoever I think is going to be the most pro freedom, who who I think can win. And that, you know, means I I generally vote for the more conservative people. But um, you know, I'm open to voting for a democrat or a libertarian if I think they can win. I just don't like to waste my vote. Right. How do you feel about rank choice voting? Uh, I really don't know a lot about it. I first heard about it during this last election. And okay. so, you know, I, I just wasn't aware of it, but was it in, in Alaska most recently? Yeah. Yeah. And Maine and Maine. And we can talk about it more. Andrew, did you want to chime in? Well, I'll read the comments that Andrew's got here until he unmutes. Seasoned politicians are overflowing with grifting and bullshit much more than your average person, and the Senate was designed to be undemocratic by the founders in order to block the will of ordinary people. So that kind of speaks to both sides of the argument, right, Andrew? I'm not sure if I'm getting that right. Welcome, Allison. Nice to see you. Hi, Phil. I feel a little bit like Miss Nancy on, on Romper Room, but... I welcome everybody. Hey, Amanda, um, has uh, Bide shared what he's working on in any kind of detail beyond uh, what he said that it's um, anti-corruption legislation? Mm -mm, no, not that I know of. I'd love to read what he's doing. You think he'd yeah. be willing to share it? I don't know. I don't know. I just invited him again. Maybe he'll maybe he'll show up. It's it's Sunday night. Maybe he's not busy. Hey, as far as inviting people, also I've been meaning to ask uh, when when I do a show or whatever the hell I do, um, I go to invite people, and I only I only get twenty people that I'm allowed to invite. What's up with that? Am I doing something wrong? Um, no, mine only shows 20 people, but I have at the top of the list, it says invite all your followers. Yeah, but I think that only includes the 20 listed, I think. I, I don't no, know. No, I think it includes every, mine says, my, when I go to invite, it says invite all, and then it says 151 followers. Right. So like, if you have like a hundred followers, you can invite them all or... Right between the 20 but if you want to be more selective with the entire oh, list right, of right. you can't do that that's annoying what's wrong you with calling you can you can search but you can't scroll hi peter welcome you can search but you can't scroll i don't hear anyone else complaining about this this seems like it would be a, a huge problem with the app really well i i don't know just thinking about I agree with you. I think the people that are that are using it in ways more more like you and I do tend to. I think that um, I think that um, is is different. But like when I think of Bree, she's just going to invite everybody. She's not going to want to invite specific people. But I agree, and and it's hard when you don't know the person's name necessarily. But here's an interesting thing. When I went and searched, because I was trying to invite Schnark to something, there's actually two Schnarks. One with two Fs and one with one. I, th in the, I think it's safe name. to assume it's the same guy. 
or a spoof because there was a Rania in Peter's room this morning, I think, who was a spoof. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, anyhow, that's neither here nor there. So, so Andrew, we were, I was just going over the various possible group projects among all the different things we could be doing to make the democracy around us better and the group projects. I'd like to try and pick something to kind of start down a path. And I just added redrafting the constitution to things like having a match.com for civic or, or, um, you know, flash mob type engagement, a left legislative exchange council, an independent citizen, independent candidate coalition or alliance among, among other, and more political parties. That was the other one. Does anyone have a particular feeling on one way or another? Andrew's playing hard to get. Uh, he's probably um, he's probably busy. <laughs> he's um, being coy. Yeah, something. It's a fucking tease. So, um, I I prioritize term limits in a big way. I'm not sure how how uh, how many other people feel that way. Um, seems to be left out of conversation quite a bit. I'm assuming. People support term limits, but I guess I'm just assuming. Yeah, I think so. Jenny, go ahead. Oh, I absolutely do. I'd actually like to see some term limits on our Supreme Court justices. I think some of them are there for way too long. And um, you, you have somebody brought in when they're the youngest age and they can stay their whole career. It just It just doesn't feel right to me, so... I don't know what it, it would look like, but that's that's how I feel. Well, I can tell you what it looks like because that is one of the amendments that they um, covered in the um, in the five amendments they were able to agree on at the National Conservation uh, Constitution Center. Hi, Peter. What's on your mind? Hey, Amanda. How are you? Can you hear me? Yes, I'm well. Thank you, Peter. Great. Yeah, I, you know, I always wanted to be on your show. Uh, the football game I'm watching is getting a little bit boring, so I'll put it on mute. <laughs> Where is it in the game? Uh, it's uh, Kansas versus Tampa Bay. Yeah, Kansas okay. is 14. What, where, where, what quarter? Uh, this is, uh, I think it's a still first quarter. Oh, Still okay. first quarter. Well, thank you for gracing yeah. us with your presence. What's on your mind? <laughs> yeah, I, actually, uh, I uh, listened uh, to Jenny once called in, and I do enjoy her uh, opinion quite a bit. Because I know Jenny uh, is uh, a Trump supporter also. You know, uh, I mean, this, uh, uh, you know, this just shows that uh, we all have some common concerns about where the direction that this country is going to. So I truly think this is a, your show is a great show because uh, on July 4th uh, this year, I, in my episode, I did advocate for the second American revolution because I believe this uh, government is uh, beyond repair. It's corrupt uh, due to the level of corruption. So, so I want to follow up what Jenny said. 
about the, I think it's called the carpet bagger, right? Like a, the dynasty, the political dynasty sending their children to a different state and then become, you know, the elected officials there and all that, mm-hmm. right? I think the state, uh, basically, I believe there could be a revolution that can be organized to change by limit the terms and the eligibility to run for office. Uh, I will go to the term limits because it, I think Derek just talked about it. Going back to the eligibility first, as quick as possible is that the constitution require, I think uh, the United, the president has to be born in this country, right? If you're immigrant, you cannot. Yes. So it's a, it's a reasonable restriction. It's not an anti-immigration. And he has to be, I think, 35 years old in order, yes. right? So I will say it's reasonable for the state, such as Texas, that if you are running office in Texas, you need to be, for example, born in Texas or be, you know, something like that. So no carpetbaggers from Maine can end up in Texas and somehow climb up, you know, the hierarchy and all that. So, so you know, that can stop this, uh, you know, political dynasty, it's kind of a, more important when you have those uh, dark money behind these people. Like I'm just saying, what if a, a George Soros is behind George W. Bush's family and promote, you know, fund all their campaign to prolong this, you know, political dynasty? I just think it's bad for the country. Because uh, so now I'm going to go back to, to the term limits. Let's go back to the George Washington again. If George Washington set the example saying two terms is the limit for the highest office of the land, what other offices should have a longer term limits or even, you know, almost permanent? You know, I, uh, I believe uh, Newt Gingrich back in 1994 wrote this uh, so-called contract with America. One of the term of that contract is that the Republicans, if they win the House, they're going to start on limits. But unfortunately, that's just another political gimmicks because it did not materialize. Nowadays, I think the most majority of the people is tired of those uh, career politicians and the wish you institute uh, term limits like George Washington has placed upon himself. That should be applicable to both the federal office and the state office. And so you need to promote crowdsourcing, some kind of a revolution just for that alone. So and I, lastly, mm-hmm, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I would just push back against term limits because I don't, I think that this is something, we're, this is like asking the government to force us to do something because if we really believe in term limits as individual voters, when I'm at the primary and my options are left A, left B, left C, if I pick the one that's already in office, then I have effectively said I don't believe in term limits. And so adding term limits would essentially force voters to 
fewer choices than otherwise they would have. I'm not, uh, I, I agree with your concern, uh, but this will have to go to the nitty gritty uh, detail of why this is, uh, this is a, uh, a risk that can be remediated uh, somehow. But I, I, I'm not uh, that far yet because uh, I'm just throwing this out as a, really just as an idea. Perfect. Because I want to go back to the ju judiciary, turn limits on the judiciary. Like Jenny has just said, you know, she felt that some of the Supreme Court justices, they're just, they're way too long. And I agree. The framers set up the federal judiciary to be lifetime appointment for a reason that they don't get involved with the politics. So there will be no political influence upon their decisions. But we have learned recently, you know, the courts are the tools of the po politics and all that. And uh, this can be, this is felt both from on the left and the right, right? So how to uh, change that? Because in, in Chinese, uh, there is a saying called uh, flowing water never gets stinky. Meaning that as long as this water is uh, dynamic, running, it's replacing itself. You know, I have called it the, I have called it even worse when it comes to a deep state. I call the deep state is just keep growing and growing like a cancer cell in a human body, right? Now back to the judiciary is this. We may not be able to limit the term limits, but we can do one thing though, is that, uh, 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 is that we can rotate them. In other words, in my opinion, to have a clean justice system, we cannot remain static. We cannot have a stable number of people, just a few number of people sitting on the highest court or, or, or just, you know, even sitting in the state court. My idea with that is that getting the term limit, some kind of a you know, rotation, what I have in mind is that rotating the bench, you will never have, because the law on the book are the same. And there's no person are superior than any other. No lawyer is superior than another one that can should be a judge for the life, for life. So the way I look at it is that as long as we rotate among the bar associations, that the, you don't get to be the judge forever. You you only have say two terms or whatever. Everyone can look at your decision, and we're going to decide. Uh, you know, the people can select among the cases of this, this rotating pool of judges based on their decisions, its consistency, its, uh, uh, its loyalty to the uh, law on the book, and then promote them accordingly. And each level of the court, from the lowest to the appellate to the US Supreme Court, should be rotated in such a way that that, that, that there's no risk of uh, laws being interpreted and justice being administered just by a few old guy. You know, so, so, so I hope that that can, by doing so, we can, America can be run on a very uh, uh, fresh, always reach, uh, 
uh, rejuvenated uh, government, other than just having these uh, politicians, uh, literally, you know, Nancy Pelosi being 80 years old and Biden or Trump being 70 some uh, high in the high 70s. And uh, you have this 90-year-old uh, senator, great senator, uh, this guy from Iowa. Uh, uh, I forgot his name. Uh, 90 years old, still running for re-election. That's true to me. It's a sign of uh, old age for America. We need, you know, as a country, we need to be forever young, basically. So, so I, I, I don't, um, yeah. Those are all very good points. I think um, it's instructive that that when the National Constitution Center did their constitutional convention with the libertarian, conservative, and progressive groups, that the mm-hmm. five the five amendments that were structural reforms where they found areas of agreement were on making it easier to amend the Constitution and with appointments. Um, let me let me just play for you the introduction about the amendment. Um, it's amendment 31 in, in, their, in their revision. Amendment 31 has to do with appointments. Again, it's not short and it's uh, carefully um, drafted. But the first section says that the president shall have power with the Senate to make treaties provided that three-fifths of the senators Concur, and will, it has to do with nominations. It makes the nominations amendment is significant because it says that nominations shall be deemed to have received the advice and consent of the Senate unless disapproved by majority vote within three months of the nomination. But any senator shall have the right to bring any nomination to the floor for debate and vote prior to that time. And any, any nomination with, made within the last three months of the president's term shall lapse at the end of that term unless sooner approved by the Senate. And then section two is extremely important and has to do with term limits for Supreme Court justices, which led to a very vigorous debate. And you agreed on a term limits amendment. And here, I won't keep you in suspense. No, this is great. I mean, this is the first time I heard it. This is great because, uh, but I want to bring up the same questions that if you limit the terms on the U.S. Supreme Court justice, that also means that you're going to learn, uh, you're going to limit the terms on the older district court and uh, circuit court uh, uh, judges, which I'm totally for. Because uh, from what I see is that the court is a, a, the problem. The court is supposed to be the gatekeeper of everything. But the court is not able to do that for the longest time. And yeah. we have to change that because, like I've said, if uh, the uh, it's the court who started slavery. It's the court uh, saying the southern slave owners can go to the northern state to hunt down their slaves, which totally alienated the white people in the northern state that caused the civil war. Right. And then the court immediately strike down the 14th Amendment in Plassey versus Ferguson. You know, and a lot of people praise the Brown versus. Uh, Board of Education. In fact, the Brown decision was reversed by a different case in the 70s. It's called the uh, Rodriguez against uh, the Independent School District of uh, San Antonio. Very few people does not know that. Brown v. Board versus Board of Education is reversed. And now you have this, uh, you know, 
Bob's decision, which is totally shows that the court literally is against, you know, against the, in the sense of the constitution of the United States. So no matter what you're amending, you're, these justice being administered by life, uh, lifetime appointed judges who are li literally can sit there forever. And that's a bad thing. Right. So let me play, let me play some of the, some of the, so this, this, this clip is about three minutes and this is um, more about their, about the Supreme Court. What do we do with the Supreme Court? There is a raging battle that uh, Caroline and other members of her team and other members of my team have been involved in. Actually, me too, because I provided testimony for the Supreme Court Commission. Michael McConnell, Robbie George, you, Jamal. So almost, so we have a lot of participants in the actual ongoing debate over how to reform the Supreme Court. So what does this amendment do? The compromise is we fix the number of Supreme Court justices at nine. So no possibility of court packing or changing the number, save a future constitutional amendment. But we impose 18-year staggered term limits. That's the deal. Right now, the conservatives, were, you know, we're happy. We have six, I'm not going to call them originalists because that would be contradicting what I said on Friday when I was here for that session. Uh, but, you know, a mix of conservative originalist judges, they can, stay all, they can stay as long as they want, right, from the conservative perspective. But there is something to lose here because court packing, although politically improbable, is not impossible and is likely to become more probable over time if there is discontent with the court. So there was some room to give there. And of course, uh, the uh, progressives uh, would have probably uh, preferred not fixing the Supreme Court justices at nine, but certainly they agree lifetime tenure is, is not a good idea. Uh, and so that was the compromise. We fix it at nine, and we have 18-year staggered term limits. This is what we're, and I'm, I'm sure Caroline and Ilya are going to have a lot more to say about this, so let me just say, how does this connect to confirmation? What's the point of 18-year staggered term limits? That every presidential term, there are two appointments. That's it. We know, like clockwork, there are going to be two appointments. reduces the temperature of presidential confirmation battles. But this means that the president's nominee has to pass, has to be approved. right? If you have a Republican Senate but a Democratic president for four years, what's to stop uh, just a four-year vacancy? If, you know, two vacancies on the court, and then a, pre a Republican president gets elected, and then you have three, uh, according to this. Every two years, the nominee has to be approved. But we don't want to get rid of a senatorial check altogether. We think advice and consent is good. It has a salutary effect on presidential appointments, moderating effect on presidential appointments. So what was the solution? As Jeff said, we make confirmations automatic within three months. But the Senate, like a veto, it's another legislative veto actually, may within that three months vote down the nominee if they want or sooner approve the nominee. What does this mean? Merrick Garland may not have been approved, but he would have gotten a vote. And then if he had been disapproved, the president would have put someone else up who would have gotten another vote. And at some point, the cost, the political cost of disapproving of every nominee to the Supreme Court would be politically catastrophic for the party doing it, because that's the deal that we're doing here every two years. And so that's how the confirmation process goes hand in hand with Supreme Court reform. I'm going to disagree with uh, him here. Go ahead, Jenny. Oh, I love it. I, I thought as he was talking, this solves so many problems. And so let just... me play the let me play the next segment. So you can hear this one's about two and a half. And this is from a different perspective. 
The current Constitution does not set the size of the Supreme Court. Um, we believe it's better to allow it to grow, actually, um, even outside of the current debate about what's Sorry, going on with the Supreme Court. Um, and simply, that. that's a reflection of the fact that our Supreme Court is very... Sorry, you didn't hear the beginning of that. This is the progressive, um, this is the leader of the progressive group. Sorry, let me start that again. The current Constitution does not set the size of the Supreme Court. Um, we believe it's better to allow it to grow, actually, um, even outside of the current debate about what's going on with the Supreme Court. Um, and simply, that's a reflection of the fact that our Supreme Court is very small relative to other countries' highest court. And so it's anomalous to have it have so few members deal with such major questions that affect so many areas of our lives and be so unrepresentative. And so for us, having a larger court, again, even outside of the current debate and discussion about some of the concerns with the Supreme Court, it is important. However, there were two parts. We also believe that term limits are good government. Um, you know, I know um, Ilya doesn't think that's a particularly appropriate thing for a constitution. I think that's what a constitution is about. It's about our government and, and our governance. And it's completely anomalous in the world, uh, except for a very few uh, hand, probably you could count them on one hand, countries that have life tenure for their uh, highest court. Uh, even in the United States, I think it's only the state of Rhode Island, uh, that has life tenure. This is not a prevailing model for a lot of reasons. It just doesn't make any sense to have somebody be able to be um, in the kind of position, especially with the way judicial review works in the United States and the immense power that the Supreme Court has to determine the direction of our lives for um, now for, for generations. Uh, and so for us, it makes a lot of sense. We did have a proposal for term limits. It was quite similar with the idea of 18-year terms. Every president gets two appointments. Uh, and I think the mechanism that we came to, um, which is basically a constitutional abolition of the filibuster for nominations. And, you know, you all, I'm sure, aware that, that by its own rules, the Senate has uh, limited filibusters with respect to Supreme Court and lower court nominations. Um, but this would ensure that they couldn't restore it because they can always put the rules back uh, if they would like to. So this makes sure that there will actually be a process of moving forward. Within the three months, they can approve or disapprove. Um, and the other reason why we decide that we would agree with this, despite the fact that it sets the court at nine, uh, is that we fix the, um, or at least we address to some extent, the process of amending the Constitution. And therefore, for us, this is something that could be revisited through another constitutional amendment now that it's easier uh, to amend the Constitution. All right. Yeah. Here. So you have a, both uh, the progressive and the, the, I guess, the conservative is saying term limits should be discussed now. And I totally agree. So the, the only difference is that, uh, and also someone commented in the uh, comment session, say there should be an age limit and all that. These are all agreeable, right? But here, here's what I have in mind. The key is not really about someone's age or t uh, limits. It's truly the performance, called the judicial performance. We not only need to nominate them to have a good confirmation process, the key is how they are performing. Are they doing their job? When they are not, that's the problem. It's not about their age. It's not about, you know, when they are not doing their job and they have a lifetime appointment then our country's justice is in trouble. 
And as I said, no justice, no peace. So we, our country is a very violent country. So how to do that? What's missing is this, because I'm in healthcare. Every single doctor in this country as a profession is being evaluated under the law, under the regulation of the HHS and all that. You can see a rating of how good, how effective this doctor is or this specialist is. Are we supposed to do that to the police department, to the school district, to the judiciary? We should. It's taxpayers' money. We need to compare. Is California's judges more diligent than the judges in Pennsylvania? We want to compare. Just like when we compare uh, automobile uh, vehicles, when we buy electric car, we want to compare. When we buy, want to buy a camper, we want to compare, right? So the way I look at this, there's zero accountability. All we talk about, uh, this conservative guy and the progressive guy talking about, is a procedural modification of a confirmation. It's a, there's nothing there to say, how do we make sure after people hired this guy or girl to be the judge, he or she is actually doing the job. Because uh, I have said, the problem with the progressive is this, especially on the, on the US Supreme Court specifically, they're not doing their job, the progressives. They're not RBG, period. RBG has the judicial inter intellect that the, 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 the right side of the court respect tremendously. So Judge Stephen Breyer is on CNN just a day ago saying how he's disturbed by the Dobbs decision. But the bottom line is this. In the Dobbs decision, the dissenting judges, justice never brought up the name of a John Locke, L-O-C-K-E. John Locke is also an old English scholar. He's not Sir Matthews. Sir Matthew is appointed by the British king. We, we rebelled, uh, we, we rebelled against. John Locke is literally lay out the foundation philosophical foundation of America. But nobody talk about John Locke. Why John Locke's philosophy actually would imply women probably do have the rights to their body. And, uh, and I also mentioned this uh, Justice Sotomayor in the US versus the Medora case, you know, where literally Justice Gorsuch is the one who's saying the insular cases must be overruled. Right. Because otherwise, the U.S. government will continue. Well, as a Puerto Everyone Rican, go back. Everyone go back and listen to Peter's episode about that, by the way. It, like I said, these progressive justice, they are not doing their job. Why do we need to keep them there? We don't. Okay? I should not say we. That If I say we, it look, looks like I'm a uh, progressive. I'm not. I'm neither progressive. I'm not a, a uh, uh, conservative either. I'm just like transcendentalist. I, I'm about politics, race, culture, and all that. The law is written in a book for the reason. The English words is written for a reason. Words means things, right? And if these people, this justice, they are supposed to be the gatekeeper according to the written codes. If they fail to do so, I don't give a flying jack whether they're conservative or progressive. They should be right. rated low performance like doctors, so we don't go there. You know, Peter, hey, Peter. Let me, mm -hmm. go ahead, go ahead. Peter, 
have, have you ever read the second treaties on government? Uh, like I said, my profession is in healthcare analytics. I, I this particular show because I felt that I need Boy, hard to get a straightforward answer. Uh, so is that a no? It's no. Yeah, correct. Okay. Uh, do you know who wrote it? No, I do not. No, I do not. Okay. All right. Andrew, go ahead. Very insightful, Derek. Thank you. I, I was going to say, Peter, um, the difference between, a, you know, evaluating a doctor's performance or an auto mechanic or an auto manufacturer and whether they're living up to safety regulations is that a lot of law is open to interpretation because you're you're governing behavior, which is very, very complex. Um, so, you know, I think that there for sure should be an evaluation um, of the judiciary. I think there definitely should not be lifetime appointments. But when you when you say what should the evaluation be, I think it should be popular referendum. Um, you know, the other thing is that the as I talked about on my show just recently, and I recommended a book or two about it, um, is that the U.S. Constitution was written in the middle of what really was an illegal land grab. You know, a lot of um, veterans and small-time farmers had been issued, um, you know, a writ of payment, a script for their service in the military or for food that they provided the, the military during the U.S. War of Independence. And then a handful of speculators... Huh? What'd you say, Amanda? I was just asking Sinway to mute. Oh, okay. Yeah, so basically a handful of, of wealthy speculators bought all of this debt from the farmers and the soldiers who literally made the U.S. an independent country from Britain. Uh, and then after, during the Articles of Confederation period and in the early years of the Constitution, they, the, the people who had bought this debt at you know, a small percentage of the face value, um, they were running, really they were running the state legislatures and they were charging extremely high taxes on the same farmers and veterans who, once again, I'll repeat, made the U.S. an independent country. They were taxing them out of their land. They couldn't afford to pay the, the taxes in gold and silver. They weren't allowed to pay the taxes in paper money. And so their uh, farms are being taken from them. So they they instigated a, you know, an armed rebellion. One of them is called Shays Rebellion. The other ones are called, you know, they're generally called the Regulator Rebellions. And they basically forced the ruling class of the United States, who are now called the Founders, um, to amend the Articles of Constitution, or the Articles of Confederation. But instead of doing that, they made the new Constitution and made their current activity of stealing land from these veterans and farmers they made that legal. So like, I would, I would also say, you know, yes, the job of a, of a justice should be only to, to adjudicate the law and, and somewhat to adjudicate the performance of the executive branch in carrying out the law. But I mean, there's the bedrock of the constitution uh, is built upon legalizing land seizures from ordinary people and giving that money and land to the wealthy. So I just hesitate to say like, you know, that, that it, that it is, it's not an impartial uh, position to execute the constitution as it is. It is a, it is a pro ruling class. Um, 
job to if you execute the Constitution exactly as it's written, even acknowledging that there's wiggle room um, and that there are some positive things like in the Bill of Rights that were that were left to, you know, to protect the people that I, I just would say yes. like before Andrew, I would say yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Uh, sorry, I was talking a long time. Sorry. Right. Well, I want to quickly just basically because uh, uh, we we mostly want to uh, th- focus on how to crowdsource a second American Revolution that can either abolish or alter this government, which is within our rights, right? So the historic background you yeah. have just said, Andrew, is totally. Uh, I just want to touch just quickly is this: is that the first sentence in the Chinese national anthem is rise up those who do not want to be a slave. That is somewhat borrowed from the experience of the Native Americans. Second, the fact that 500,000 Chinese volunteers went to Korea to fight the United Nations in the 1950s, people don't understand how, why so many people willing to die because uh, the Mao has promised the communism is to land reform. The, the peasants is going to own their own land. So that's a strategic, a very strong motivation for them. So similar to the soldiers in America back then. I understand what you're, talk, understand what you're talking about. And, uh, but I want to go back to focus on this is that every single government services, being a Medicare uh, services, to the seniors, being a, a K-12 education should be evaluated on their performance period. In other words, what's your property taxes you're paying in your county? What's the percentile of the pupils' grades in the nation? You can compare that easily. You can evaluate, you know, I don't care who is running for the school board and all that, those can be evaluated, right? Uh, the police department, how many people you have? What's your financial burden to the taxpayers? How many uh, uh, crimes you saw? Right? Yeah, Those, I mean, I agree with uh, we you. Need to, I, I was just going to say, take... though, like, there, mm-hmm. is a, mm-hmm. there is, I think, a good case to be made that the, the pretty authoritarian rulings coming from the Supreme Court recently and other really authoritarian ones over time, you can make an argument that they are... If if you if they were to be evaluated, they would find they would be found to be in line in bounds with the Constitution. So I should have I shouldn't have taken so fucking long going back on other stuff to make my point. But my point is that um, I think that we should I think we should really push back on the originalist you know like religious reverence of the Constitution um, when there are really good parts of it. Almost all of the good parts of it are amendments. So that's all I'm saying. Like, uh, yes, I, really uh, I hear point. you. You're on right. The other hand, on, on the other hand, maybe if we're going to talk about uh, John Locke, as if uh, we're thoroughly immersed in all things John Locke, we should be able to do more than just spell his name correctly. I think that's reasonable too. Yeah. Well, what I'm trying to say is that the U.S. Supreme Court in the Dobbs decision, they talk about this Sir Matthews. I never heard of a Sir Matthews. Sir Matthews is a, in those days, called a loyalist to the British. He would be hanged in America, right? John Locke is the other side. John Locke is on the American side. 
So there is a difference. Uh, Qualcomm, I, I, I've, I've heard of them. I've heard of them. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah basically, yeah. because uh, I am going to do uh, one of the episodes. By the way, Andrew, the next episode I'm doing for my show is called uh, From the, Your Womb to Your Tomb. The Supreme Court is the morality police. Okay, we, have, we can talk about Iran's uh, morality police, that women have to wear something. But we also, in America, this Supreme Court has shown they, the, the court bans the abortion, the court bans uh, 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 physician-assisted uh, suicide, both of medical, in my opinion, medical services as a part of the people's rights, a person's rights to pursue happiness, okay? People sometimes, when they have a terminal illness, they do not want to be treated. Again, I'm in healthcare. I have some knowledge and experience to talk about this is that. Uh, they want to get a physician-assisted suicide. I don't think it's illegal in America because I know two Arizona women, their sisters, they recently flew to Switzerland and received a service. And so from the tomb, by, by the way, what I'm trying to say is this. Uh, like I said before, abortion is a woman's private matter I have no business in as a man. And I, I don't believe the government has a business in. It's a part of the pursuit of happiness, which is so-called unalienable rights, right? So, so from that perspective, abortion and the physician-assisted suicide, those are not against the law, but they are against the Christian morality. Therefore, our U.S. Supreme Court currently, currently as it stands, is a, our morality police. Okay, that's, so that's so the... we need to change because we want to find out whether these judges, including the local judges, do they actually follow the law or do they actually follow some kind of a corrupt business dealing or, or, or political uh, influence? I was... If they are... Sinway, mm -hmm, Peter, go ahead. let's go ahead. let Sinway, get, let's let Sinway get, get a word in. Yeah, my biggest thing personally, and Andrew and... Here, I think you were just about to bring up is I put in the comments about how the fact that a good number of the courts, while judges, while some of them are either conservative or um, progressive or liberal based values, a good number it, it, we don't look at is how many of them are actually for the people economically because. Uh, for a long while, um, it seems like that these judges were handpicked by, uh, what's the name of this think tank? Like some right wing or, and or neoliberal think tank. Federalists. Thank you. Federalist society. So basically they favor basically businesses and corporations and there's no way for the average person makes it or it makes it easier any easier for the average person to like um sue or um against these corporations for damages or have a voice in like um just all the like pollution in the communities or them getting ripped off no compensation so i'm more worried about that now granted i understand that there are like LGBTQ rights, abortion, those are important, but there also needs to be a talk about like these judges being for people economically because 
you need well, money to survive and everything. Certainly I agree, but that, that gets back to my earlier point, like that that type of corporate favoritism is built into the bedrock of the Constitution. Oh, great. Um, so like the, the, the debts that I was talking about that soldiers and farmers are being forced to pay that were, that were forcing them out of their land, those were, those were some of the first things they addressed in Articles 1 and 6 of the Constitution is that those debts are still valid from, you know, the, the debts that were valid from during the Revolutionary War into the Articles of Confederation are still valid under the Constitution. Um, so, and that's the other part, like, these people clearly have an ideological agenda. It clearly is not only not serving, but is oppositional to the well-being of the vast majority of people, whether it's overturning Roe or getting rid of um, these other decisions that had been based off of sort of unenumerated rights. You know, there, there is, I think, a constitutional argument that is sound for unenumerated rights, but there's also a constitutional argument that's sound for the, you know, the ruling against uh, workers, organizations for corporations, you know, for states' yeah. rights to, to decide on abortion and all of that. So that's why I'm saying, like, not only do we need there to be a pushback against judges who do this, uh, this work for ideological and financial centers of power, but the problem is that they do have the, the, the backing of the Constitution. It's built off of a fraud. It's built off of of the opposite of land reform. It's built off of land hyperaccumulation and, and, you know, financial hyperaccumulation in the hands of a tiny number of people. It's built to protect that, except for the Bill of Rights, which were forced into the Constitution by these regulator rebellions, literally at gunpoint. Uh, so, definitely the for the Bill of Rights and a whole bunch of amendments to this Constitution. And, well, Bill of Anything that's what it says in the Bill of Rights should be added into the amendments for this Constitution, as because as you said, Andrew, it's uh, it obviously favors the corporations and the wealthy. <laughs> yes, yeah, you know, I think I mentioned that the way I see is that uh, uh, America's issue today is not because uh, capitalism, it's because it's a racialized capitalism. Uh, slavery, you know, if it's just a white on white slavery, it probably will be okay today. It's not, you know, the land is from the natives and the, the labor is from Africa. And in fact, a, a New Jersey judge back then when the slave trade uh, was uh, had been banned, he actually secretly still trade slaves. It's a pretty famous case. In, in It's a New Jersey because New Jersey has been a free state. Uh, unlike Delaware, Maryland. And because even judges, they like money. They are the capitalists too, right? So it's a racialized capitalism. So therefore we do bear a huge moral and financial burden to those who formerly slaved, enslaved. So, and uh, I, I have said and, before- And, mm -hmm, and I go. would say, mm -hmm. and I would say we also owe something for the land. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I mean, reparations I, and land back have to happen. Exactly. Can't have a healthy country. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to use the Brown versus Board Education to showcase why reparation is justified. Wait, wait, wait. 
okay. I don't want to talk mm -hmm. about reparations right now. I appreciate that. Yeah, right. It is so, a very yeah. good. I don't want to go off on that tangent. I yeah. appreciate it, yeah, and I want to hear it sometime, mm -hmm. but not right now. Because I do want to go back a little bit to um, the, at the start, I talked a little bit about the ballot measures. And I just, since we were talking Constitution, um, one of the things that's, so I just want to point out a couple of interesting ballot measures in a couple of states, just for purposes of, wow, isn't that interesting? Maybe my state would want to do that or want to avoid that. So in Florida, they have an amendment two, which would abolish the Florida Constitution Revision Commission. Now, again, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm an expert on any of these because I am not. I am just reading from the Ballotpedia page about these ballot measures and not I don't have any additional information. But Vermont is adding a constitutional amendment that prohibits slavery and indentured servitude in the state constitution. And Tennessee also did this, has the, a constitutional amendment repealing language allowing slavery or involuntary servitude as criminal punishment. Also in Oregon, they have a similar constitutional language amendment that would repeal language allowing slavery or involuntary servitude as criminal, criminal punish, punishments. Uh, it also, and, and very interestingly, Nevada has become apparently a hotbed for more progressive actions. So they've got three things on their ballot in Nevada in, in November. The first one is adds a new section to the Nevada Constitution that states, wait for it, equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by this state or any of its political subdivisions on account of race, color, creed, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, expression, age, disability, ancestry, or national origin. So they basically made a comprehensive equal rights amendment that they have on their ballot. The other two are establishing a top five primary and ranked choice voting for general election, which is similar to what Alaska has just implemented, and increase, incrementally increasing the minimum wage to $12 an hour by 2024. So those three ballot measures in Nevada are interesting to me. Montana has, has a ballot measure that requires a search warrant to access a person's electronic data. And in Missouri, the, a measure would allow the legislature to pass a law until December 31st, 2026, that requires a city to increase funding without reimbursement from the state to a police force that was established by a state board of police commissioners. So the legislature in Missouri, apparently, if this passes, will be able to pass a law and that, that, that a certain city would have to increase funding to their police without any additional state funding. Oh, Missouri. What are you doing, Missouri? Um, Louisiana, interestingly, also has, has a measures. They have some crazy right-wing measures, but they actually remove, they have a measure that would remove language in the state constitution that allows slavery and involuntary servitude as a punishment for crime. 
and thereby prohibiting slavery and involuntary servitude, as, as, except as it may be applied lawfully in the administration of criminal justice. Wow, Louisiana's working it. I'm just going to say, since I live there, it is just a state where if you don't laugh at their politics, you'll cry. Just a couple other things I want to highlight. Iowa wants to add a right to own and bear firearms into the Iowa Constitution. And I think that's, that's the majority of the ones that I wanted to highlight. There, if you are interested, just go to ballotpedia.com. They've got all the information you could possibly want to know about the upcoming elections. You can also go visit the Google Sheets. I have put the ballot measures on there. And if you haven't already gotten your ballot in the mail, you probably will be getting it sometime soon since most of the states have deadlines for mailing those out um, upcoming if it hasn't already passed. That's the main information I wanted to get out to you. We didn't really talk about setting priorities for these different group projects, but I'd like to keep having this room open for that conversation. And I want to give people a chance to weigh in um, before I close the room because we've been going for a while and it's been quite a day. Jenny, Derek, Sinway, Omar, would you like to share anything? As always, it's just really stimulating to be here and listen to everybody's opinions. I always feel like I come away smarter. And um, I, I was just thinking 15 sounds like a good number for a Supreme Court. You always want it to be odd, so there's no evens on the votes. But um, nine just doesn't feel like enough people to me. So I don't know what it would take to get our get 15 or even more. But um, that's what I'd like to see. Very interesting. Very interesting. Since it's not named in the Constitution. Omar. Uh, I'm just spitballing here. Um, I, I'm not, you know, I don't have a legal background or anything. But I just, when we were talking about um, the early history of this country, um, the land that was robbed uh, from Native Americans and all the broken treaties. Like, I think I've heard that there's no treaty that the U.S. kept kept uh, their part in, uh, in uh, with, with Native American tribes. And so I don't know if there's any, I mean, anything that can be done kind of leveraging that, those broken treaties to, to try to open up, like, opportunities to change this fucking messed up country. <laughs> um, I don't know. We'd have to talk to a lawyer. I, I'm just spitballing, like I but said. But I'll add that to the advocacy issues list because there, that's a good thing to be adding to that list. And, and like I said, I'll be, I'm hoping to get up a website or somewhere yeah. where folks can, can reference these things because I think we can gather a lot of people who have different interests and if we're building a coalition of folks who want to be involved having a, a variety of things for people to be able to get involved with yeah having indigenous people i mean i think it's yes. super super important so treaty treaties 
Okay. I, I personally would like to learn more about the land back movement because all I yeah. know basically is the name of it, and that is a shameful thing. But but I, I hope to rectify that shortly. Derek, would you like to say anything to close up? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, Peter, do a Google search on the Second Treaties of Government. You might you might find it interesting. I'll do that. I'll do that. And uh, uh, to just bring you what Omar has just said about the land grabs. It's actually I read about this. I was sharing this with a, a lawyer friend of mine because uh, he he's the first person I talk about this uh, judicial white privilege topics. I said because of this uh, green energy initiative. Because first of all, the federal land currently, as of today, the federal land, so-called, these are actually Native Americans' land, right? The problem is that now they are finding that under these land, there's a, a rare minerals uh, and other material that are needed for green energy, such as for to go to build batteries and things of that nature. So you think about that the Native Americans is about to be robbed twice <laughs> in 2022. Because uh, under those land, there is uh, minerals that are the future of the green energy. So think of it that way. Second is that uh, uh, to crowdsource a revolution, in my opinion, we probably can take uh, the playbook of a Newt Gingrich back in 1994 to establish, to do this uh, term limits movement, meaning that all government must have a term limits. I think uh, both the left willing to to join the force in that regard so that that's my two cents adding it to the list adding it to the list now omar would you like to oh i guess we just got you so the last thing i'm going to say is hey you know what the mental health care clinicians in california are on strike they're going into their eighth week if you have an extra five bucks to throw at their strike fund I talked to several people on Friday when I went down there who are going back to work because they don't think the strike fund can um, can cover their their salary and the other people who are out on strike because they're more senior. And I don't want anybody who wants to stay on the strike line to feel like they have to go to work because this is the thing. They're trying to just wait them out. And so if you've got any extra cash NUHW National Union of Healthcare Workers in California you can also search um, NUHW on Twitter to get more information or contact me directly um, either through the app or the contact information that I have in in the show notes right now um, so that's so that's what's up with that um, and and please tell everybody that this is this bullshit has gone on long enough. I think that's kind of how a lot of us feel. I really appreciate everyone coming. I'll be back here, and uh, hopefully, um, Rudy, I see you. Pedro, nice to see you. I'm glad you guys are are here. And I say guys in the in in, in a non non gendered way because I'm Californian. But I really appreciate you all being here and. Uh, Pedro, let me just, would you like to say something before we close, sir? 
Hey, Amanda. Uh, Hi. Now, uh, since you called my name, I just uh, wanted to say you're welcome. That's all. <laughs> Talk to you later. It's nice to hear your voice. Thank you, Pedro. Mm -hmm. All right, everyone. I hope you have a great Sunday night, and I will talk to you on Tuesday.